Ooh, what was the first thing you noticed about me? <laughs> um, your your moves. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, you were on the dance floor, so I didn't think I've told you that before. <laughs> what things about me make you know I am the one for you? Um, integrity. I can trust you to the end and always count on you. Um, your faithfulness and the way you treat others and respect others and lead by example. Do you ever get jealous if you see me talking with other attractive people? Do you need the answer to that? <laughs> nope, no. but they do. <laughs> <laughs> Never. <laughs> oh, he's moving on. <laughs> what did you learn about marriage from your parents? That there's gonna be rough times, sometimes more rough than good, but they've always stuck it out and made it work and not, um, I guess, given up. You persevered through it all. What is the biggest obstacle that we have overcome together? Well, there's been a couple. The first one, just getting married. <laughs> <laughs> um, working through uh, having, you know, a blended family and getting to a point where, you know, we understand each other and where we need to go. I vow to um, love you unconditionally and respect you and trust you, to honor you, um, to make you cookies, <laughs> <laughs> and never let you go. I vow to continue to love you more and more each day to provide and take care of you and our family as best I can, to do what I can to honor you and to honor God from this day forward. Well, hello, church. We, uh, we're going to continue the Mary series, and we're going to finish it. For those of you like, finally. And you're, you're single and you're like, or, or you just hate marriage, whatever it is. But, but this, is, this is the final, final weekend. Now, I want to make sure everyone knows this is, this is going to every single location. So to west, to east, to the fellows at RCMU. We're going to finish this and we're going to do this in a way that we haven't really done this before. I have a special guest. And our special guest is my wonderful wife, Katie, if you've never met her. Yep. Now, in order to get along through this Q&A, we have to sit this far apart, okay? So if you're like, why are they not closer? Uh, we're, we're fighting right now. And Stop so, it. I'm kidding. So you submitted questions. I've been asked recently, can I, can I submit more? No, because we got plenty. We've got plenty of questions. And so if you're wondering, like, what, where does this content come from? Like, what are we talking about? Well, we did this whole series on marriage. We had Chanti come. 
You need to go watch that. And we went through the different vows that we say in a marriage ceremony. And then we knew that by the end of this whole series that there would still be some questions laying out there where it's like, well, we really need to talk about that, but we can't just spend one whole weekend on it. And so we also wanted everyone's question to get answered. And so we're going to do our best. I'm going to shut up here and we're going to go at these questions. So when you see the questions, there was no like ulterior motive to this. If you don't like them, you ask them. So deal with it. But we're going to have fun with this. And when we say PG-13, oh, oh we're going to go there, uh, just so you know. And so if you, okay, okay, here we go. Okay, okay. Here's the first one. Uh, how can you tell when you're ready to marry the person that you're dating? Or there are other questions even. How do you know when you're ready to get married? And, and well, one, we're going to infer some things. We're going to infer that, that you've graduated high school. Uh, that, that you're attracted to each other, and there's a hint of maybe spending forever with each other. So, uh, but I do wanna, I wanna say something about this, because this was one of the main questions asked. How do you know when it's that person, when, when you're really, really, really ready, and it's, it's locked into that person? I wanna, I wanna deal with something I see all the time in culture now. We think that when we fall in love with someone, that that must mean that's who God wants you to marry. And we're thinking, oh, that's what I've seen in the movies. That's what I've always dreamt of. You wanted to fall in love. And so when you fell in love, that first person you fell in love with, that's the person. The problem is some of you fell in love in kindergarten. <laughs> and there's this idea, and, and I think we've all bought into this at different moments, that as soon as you fall into love with someone, they must be it. And many of us have stories where they weren't it. They were not it. And I'm going to tell you, if you don't know this about life, you can fall in love with the wrong person. And just because you fall in love with the wrong person doesn't mean you make bad choices thereafter. And so I wanted us to just touch on that at the very beginning. See, some of you, you're dating someone and you're like, we fell in love, so they must be it. Yet there's a whole long list of things. You're like, we should never get married, but we're in love. But we should never get married, but we're in love. Then don't get married. You'll learn that Katie's the far more sensitive person in our relationship. <laughs> do you have any words of wisdom on I this? I do, because we actually talk about this with couples a lot. And one of the things that I call the deal breakers is if you're talking about, well, it'll get better when... So as soon as we get married and the ring is really big, everything that we're dealing with will be just fine. And I think that one of the questions we ask people a lot is, instead of asking whether or not you're ready to marry that person, take off the love blinders for just a minute. And it's, it's a little more important than picking out what movie you're going to see. This is a whole lifetime that you're talking about. And so think of things like, is this a person that has habits that are really bad that they're not willing to reconcile? Is this a person that is abusive in some way? Is this a person that has a lot going on in their lives that I think my job is to fix them? Those are deal breakers. And sometimes we get so blinded by wanting happily ever after that we don't stop and look at that, that stuff when we're in the midst of it. I mean, if, if, you want, if you want marriage advice like on who to get married, obviously Katie made the perfect choice and so... I did. So, oh, we're going to have fun with this. If you think this is going to be boring, it's not. So here's two <laughs> questions. 
And this might be something you might want to write down or at least revisit later. There's two things that if you're thinking about getting married, if you're just processing, like, are they the right person? You know, they're really, really cute or whatever. Here's, here's two questions. This is not all-inclusive. I do not think these are the only questions that you should ever ask. But they are two beginners. Here's one. Do you have the same view and value of God? That is a question that you should not avoid or think you have simply observed the answer to. You should ask that question, and I would say over a period of time, re-ask the question. Make sure that you don't just get uh, what we call the Sunday school answers. Do you have the same view and value of God? One of the top reasons couples find adversity that they can't overcome is because they have different world views. They literally see the world completely different, and that is very difficult to overcome. Here's another one that not is, is not just for the whole couple. Would you want your future children to marry a person like them? That will cause some breakups to happen this week. <laughs> it's one of the most profound questions I was ever asked to ask. Would you want your future children to marry not who you hope they will become, mm -hmm. but to marry that person? And if your answer is not favorable, you either need to have that conversation or in that relationship before you go into a covenant. All right, let's, let's move on. Uh, how do you go back into being in God's will and waiting until you're married? Now, if you don't know this, if you haven't been part of the series, they're asking, and there were multiple questions about this. So we talked about God's design for marriage, God's design for sex, and there are many folks who go, okay, so I haven't waited until I was married, or, or you've, you've been sleeping around, however you want to contextualize it, but how do you take a lifestyle that you shouldn't be living, and how do you bring it into line of what God would design? And I think my wife should lead with this. You're going to find that I really like to talk about things. I think it's good. I'm the extrovert. David is the introvert. And so most of my answers will have something to do with speaking to one another. <laughs> um, so what I would say first is if, if you're the one that's feeling that in the relationship, you need to sit down and talk about it. And first, find out if that person feels the same way. Because if they don't think that it's wrong and they don't think that you should stop, therein lies a conflict that needs to be resolved. I think if they say yes, I do think this is a problem and I want to change, then you guys can get some godly counsel around you and make a plan and make some hard decisions about how you're going to resist the temptation and start living life God's way. One thing, and I think this applies to really all of life, a lot of times we think the decisions that we're making right now are the decisions that you now have to make for the rest of your life. It's, called a, it's a lack of vision for your life. A lot of times you get stuck. and like, well, we've already messed up or we've already made this choice, so I, that's just where we are. I guess that's where we have to stay. Never let the best decision lose no matter where you are or what you're doing. If you know the best decision, if you know what is right, you can still choose what is right. And in fact, um, many of us in, in this church know the story that Katie and I started our marriage off not, not thriving. Uh, we, we put, as they say, the cart before the horse if you are still riding in a uh, wagon. 
There's got to be a more <laughs> modern saying to that. Yeah. Uh, but but Katie, Katie actually made some of the most mature decisions, and, I, and I'll give her credit. She, she led a lot of this, that uh, we didn't wait until we were married, and that led to many difficult decisions. I'll let her talk about it, but she's very wise on this. Oh, good. Well, <laughs> thank you. Um, do you I'm going to let you say that again a few times throughout this time. Um, so what, what we did was we made some decisions about we wanted to start living life God's way, and so I moved out of where I was living on campus, and instead of moving in with David, I moved into the home of a pastor and uh, his wife and lived in their basement, which was not ideal. I would say it was actually quite awkward. I didn't know them that well, but we wanted to make sure that before we got married, we were, we were resisting temptation and putting things in place that we would not have to have those conversations again saying, oh, we failed again. Um, so we, we made hard decisions, and living with strangers was one of them that I did. Um, they cooked really well and they were friendly, but I did not know them. Um, so that, that's something that we did. Uh, couples say this all the time. Uh, this makes financial sense for us to move in together before we get married. Hmm. And, and, and I might say, you're right, it does make financial sense. But does it make moral sense? Does it make sense to God? I, you, can, you can rationalize it. Like, a lot of us get into this justification. Mode. So I have to give you uh, my version of counseling, okay? And this is why most people do not call, hey, can I meet with David? I'll prove it to you here. Uh, because there's a, there's a lot of people asking this question. Okay, so now that I know God's design, what do I do? Well, it's, it's actually very simple. Stop what you're doing. Just stop doing what you're not supposed to be doing and start doing what you should. The problem is we try to figure out, but that's difficult. That's gonna, that might put some problems on a relationship. It might end the relationship. It might cost us some money. It might, it might cause some discomfort, yeah. But, but I've stolen my, my approach to counseling, by the way, from Jesus, just to spiritualize it. So if you don't know a story about Jesus, there was a real-life situation in which a, a woman and, well, actually a couple, they were having an affair uh, they try to trap Jesus, so they grab the woman, pull her out of the house, throw her in front of Jesus, and they're like, you won't believe what she's been doing. She's been having an affair. Can you believe this? And, and so Jesus resolved all of it and then concluded by talking to her and gave her a very direct, probably a two-minute counseling session. Here, here it is, John 8, 11. Go now and leave your life of sin. At the moment, it is one of the most profound stories of grace that we've ever heard of or have from Jesus. But I'm going to tell you, if you're wanting to know, if you're outside of God's design for sex, outside of his design for marriage, go now and leave your life of sin. And there will be losses that you incur. Hear me? There will be losses that you incur. It will be difficult. It will create tension. But one of the most profound things Katie and I get to tell our kids because I told you, it breaks my heart that we have to share with our kids when they ask, hey, you know, mom and dad, did you guys wait until you were married? And we have to say no. But what we do get to tell them, about two and a half months before we got married, we made sure that we got back in line with God's design. And that meant that mommy moved in with a family that really cared about us. And we chose to be pure for at least two and a half months and waited until we were married. I'm going to tell you that was expensive, that was difficult, that was awkward, but I can't wait to have all those conversations with the kids where they get to see that mom and dad don't just 
do things they shouldn't do and stay in that. You can leave your life of sin, but you got to make those choices. Okay. Let's talk about sex. <laughs> kind of already actually have. <laughs> I've got the song in my head. Let's talk about sex, baby. Okay, here we no. go. Nope. How often should sex happen, and does it matter who initiates? Well, I'll just solve this. Uh, <laughs> I've got this written down. Uh, seven days a week, 370,000 days a year. Uh, your move math on. Is, is that off. good? Yeah, your math is oh, off. Sorry. Okay, so I'll give you statistics for those of you who are nerds, okay? I, I've read through Shanti's books, which you ought to do that. Here's what you may not know about your marriage if you're, if you're married. 82% of wives want to desire sex as much as their husbands do. So what oftentimes we do is we stereotype people. We think, oh, it's just one of the spouses who wants to have sex. It's the other one who doesn't. And we think that it's locked into that. But I would tell you, and statistically, researchers would tell you that both actually want an intimate relationship. But there are moments in life that often hurt us, wound us. Uh, there are seasons of life that are distracting, and then intimacy leaves the relationship. Mm -hmm. So you can go into all the stats that will tell you how often and all that, and I'd say it's seasonal, and there's things. When kids enter the picture, if you're married, you're like, uh-huh, it just changes, and, and, and you've got to just think through that. But there are no perfect answers to that question other than both should be initiators. Mm -hmm. In fact, I would tell you, if you have given the role of initiating intimacy to the other one in the relationship, I guarantee you that your relationship lacks intimacy and there is a, just a deep well of unmet expectations. And there is actually your marriage underneath it is, is dissolving and breaking and hurting. So the idea that there is supposed to be or is just one initiator, that is completely unhealthy and not good. Anything to add? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, I, again, open communication. This stuff is awkward from time to time, maybe all of the time for you, but talking about it, saying, when you look at me with that look in your eye at 5.30 in the morning, I need you to know that, no, that's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> I'm tired, your breath stinks, my breath stinks, whatever. Um, I, I think talking about where you're at and what you need, because if I'm spending the entire day covered in children and maybe haven't had a chance to shower until two in the afternoon, I don't know what your life is like, but sometimes it gets crazy. So having that conversation about I value you and you matter, here's, here's what I need from you, that creates an open conversation and it slays immediately what the enemy tries to do, which is get us disconnected. You stay connected through conversation and talking really openly and honestly about what's going on and what you need and what you don't need. And I think that that just helps. It, it takes ground away from the enemy when you can communicate because a lack of communication can often actually start having these ideas come in that I, he must not want me or she must not want me. I, I, I think that that's just something that's huge is talking yeah. about it. Uh, let's get very serious. A lot of times when, when intimacy is not a part of a marriage, uh, that couple is, is far more vulnerable to an affair. Mm -hmm. um, in our culture nowadays, we think affairs are normal. Mm -hmm. 
and everyone somehow has that happen, and that's not true, by the way. But some of you, I know this, are, are in the midst of a marriage that has been really damaged by an affair, or, or you understand the brokenness and the heartbreak of, of an affair when there's been unfaithfulness. And some of the questions went at that a little bit. How do you restore a relationship where someone has broken trust like that? I'm going to tell you that is an ongoing conversation that we can't just resolve in this moment. But I will tell you this. If you have ever broken the trust of your spouse, you need to know something about that. You have assigned to them the task of being the forgiver. And it's not a role they signed up for. You understand that? And so a lot of times... uh, a spouse who has an affair will hope that their spouse kind of gets over it. Like, hey, I'm said I'm sorry. Hey, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And, and, and why are you still holding this against me? And, and it takes a long time to walk through when someone so close to you breaks your heart like that. And so I'm going to ask if you have been the, we'll call, them, call you, if you've been the offender, you need to give that time and space. And if you've been hurt, you need to know that forgiveness is what you're supposed to aim for. Forgiveness is the difficult part to get to. And I don't think you can do that by yourself. I don't think you can get access to forgiving someone like your spouse for cheating on you without support and encouragement from people around you. I just don't think you can access it. You can try and you might have a story of where that's happened. But from what I've seen and witnessed, you need God and you need other people around you helping you forgive because you'll choose one or the other you'll choose a group that will help you stir into your soul a bitterness that will never leave or they will help you keep your heart soft and help you forgive choose your friends wisely okay so let's go uh, a little bit more controversial this was interesting by the way uh oh by the way sex and marriage, there's a book. Be careful how you search for this, but there's a book. <laughs> it's called Sheet Music. Sheet Music. Buy it. Read it. Memorize it. Okay. Okay, let's go on. What does the Bible teach about birth control? Katie? <laughs> I don't like controversy. So this has been, this has been an interesting topic uh, just to walk through even, even in life and ministry. Um, and friends, I would say that it's, it's really hard because it's been so debated that things get really blurry. We all come from different backgrounds, some, some spiritual, some not. And so it just gets really tough to have a, a really good conversation about it, not one-on-one, but I'm going to try and let you know that the Bible does not implicitly or explicitly talk about birth control because it wasn't a thing when the Bible was written. When lines are blurry, however, in our home and in this church, we go back to what the Bible says. What does God say about what we're talking about? And here we're talking about human life. And the Bible says that human life is sacred. And so something that that we talk about all of the time with people that ask this question is that the attitude in which you're even looking into this topic is huge because 
life matters to God. And so we talk about birth control as prevention versus ending a life. Um, and so that's, that's really where we land that um, it, it's just tough, but God says human life matters. And so um, prevention is different than ending a life. And there are both of those things out there on the market to use. Um, I, we also encourage couples, when you're even having this conversation, every couple is different. And even as far as you go with that in terms of... Um, not ending a life, but preventing pregnancy is something that you as a couple have to pray about and go to God about and, and decide where you land. She answered the whole thing. I'll, I'll <laughs> add something just, just simple but profound for us as a church. Uh, we strongly believe life matters. Mm-hmm. You, know, you hear us talk all the time, anyone and everyone matters. And that's mm-hmm. not just the people that walk through the doors of our locations and Anyone and everyone matters. And we would strongly say, I think passionately, Mm -hmm. that when God creates a life, he doesn't want you to intentionally end that life. And he's clear on that. That's all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at the options available medically, Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you, you should not choose an option that ends a created life life. Mm-hmm. Okay? All right. That gets a little tense. So let's talk about kids. <laughs> uh, is it true that your spouse should always come first before your children? Uh, there is a stereotype that I don't want us to like really all be about, but it does need to be made clear. There's a stereotype that it's only one side of the relationship that has this issue. And I would say, Katie and I will have to confess to you that we've had seasons where our marriage wasn't priority and the kids were more priority. Mm-hmm. And we've seen it negatively impact our relationship. Yeah, I would say that um, as evidenced in Scripture when it talks about the, the husband and wife relationship, but also just in awesome marriages that we know, we know that the kids thrive when parents are intentionally focused and connected. And I would also say that number one in that, before even talking about the, the marriage and marriage versus kids, is that my relationship with God and David's relationship with God, me being really healthy and well with the Lord makes us better. And us being well makes our children thrive. It's really hard, though, in seasons of life when um, there are kids screaming and there feels like there's no time to do anything else but focus on them. Uh, Setting up intentional opportunities to make sure that you're connected helps the kids in a way that is indescribable. The Bible does address this in in a pretty cool way. Mm. Titus 2.4, which Titus, that's a really good name. (laughs) Urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. I wanted to make sure then to include this because we in no way would suggest that you don't love your children or that you don't love your spouse. But we all would agree that there's a tension in that, especially as seasons happen, as sports happens, at band school, everything all begins to implode and come in and, and there's just so much stuff. But I would tell you it's critical that you understand that the vows that you made to your spouse are not vows that you made to your children. Hmm. And a lot of times we mix it. That seems, that might seem insensitive. I'm not trying to tell you. I'm telling you that if your marriage works, 
it's easier to parent. If your marriage doesn't work, it's more difficult to parent. Mm -hmm. And what you're modeling to your children is often what they will duplicate. They may not want you. They may, they may swear that off, say, I will never be like my parents. I'm just like my parents. That's what happens, right? But I'm going to tell you, if you neglect your marriage, if you neglect your marriage, you are at the same time neglecting your children. And the most important relationship in a family is that husband and that wife making sure that they thrive because it does not just impact just the two of them. So invest your, into your relationship with God and then next on the priority list, if that's what this was asking for, is your spouse. Now, one of the questions that, that we didn't directly put up here, but it is part of this, what about blended families? Because that's a, that's a topic like, well, how do we do this when, when the kids in the home are not necessarily all directly biologically related and how does that work? I'm going to tell you, listen up very quick, it doesn't matter. The marriage is still priority. And I'll, I will not downplay this, that it gets more complicated when you blend families because you might have your kids in a home that you can't control and they might have different rules different standards, standards that you may not like, but that does not change the value of your marriage. And I'm going to tell you, if our world would just get a hold of this, that one of the greatest parenting things you could ever do is to draw close to your spouse and let your kids at least see that. There's a question that, that follows that that I thought was good. With full-time jobs, crazy schedules, and kids, how can I put my spouse first? Like, seriously, let's get real for a second. Well, I know that sounds neat, but uh, the whole dating thing that happened, like pre-kids, pre-marriage, how do you continue to fall in love and stay in love and let that relationship thrive? I can give you some to-dos. One is roles. You need roles in your home. <laughs> some of us think that the Bible is crystal clear on this, and it's not as crystal clear as you think it is. If you think it's the woman's role to do all the housework, we're moving in with you, okay? <laughs> but come on, can, can we grow up a little bit? It's, it's not, there's nowhere in the Bible that says the only person in that house that can clean a bathroom and do the dishes and cook and is, is the woman, the spouse. It's not in there. I'm going to tell you it's not in there. If you've heard that or think that, you've bent and twisted what the Bible has said. The Bible does say, whether you like this or not, is that the man, the husband, is the leader of the home, not the dictator, although that would be fun sometimes. Mm, no, it would not. Is not the czar, not the king, not the, is the leader. And if you've ever met a good leader, you know that a good leader is not a dictator. A good leader is submissive. A good leader is loving and caring and kind. And I'm going to tell you, there, the Bible does talk about roles. And another one, and this seems like maybe a bit dry, but you need to schedule stuff. With crazy schedules, there is a certain time, a certain day every single week that I'm spending one-on-one face-to-face -on -one -face time with each of our kids. Uh, Titus at three, it's not a whole lot of fun right now. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of running. Chasing. Yeah, oh yes. my goodness. He and I were at Arby's the other day, and... I felt like we were going to get kicked out. I thought it, we were close to it. <laughs> thought we were close to it. But what I have done, and, and Katie does the same, is, is we schedule that time so no one can interrupt it. 
and it's purposeful and intentional. Mm -hmm. So that's there's a couple things. You've got things to add to this. I do. Um, I think sometimes marriage, we forget that it's a love story, that we're building a life together. It's not a small business <laughs> that we are running. And I'm actually in our relationship, the one that kind of bends towards that because I like everything really efficient. I like things scheduled and going well. But sometimes we forget just the ordinary moments that are so special in, in marriage, um, leaving notes throughout the day, um, texting each other. I, sometimes I just send awkward, random song lyrics, but it's still, I'm thinking about them. Um, they may, may just be strange. Um, planning special occasions or events. One of the things in our home that we do is we have a set bedtime for our children, which sounds so silly until you realize that once they're all in bed, you have like an hour and a half to just hang out and talk. Um, it, that, that has made a huge difference. It's awesome. It, re it really is because from the, you, you get up, you get ready, you go to work, you're gone all day, you get home, homework, dinner, there's all kinds of things that you have to sign and checks you have to write for lunch or whatever it is. That gives us really focused, intentional time to be able to just wind down and connect and talk about our day. Um, another thing tied to bedtime is our room is off limits for the children to sleep in at night, because if you've ever had that, you know that you do not sleep well. And Titus, Titus is real sneaky and comes in at right the hour, I think, where we're so like unconsciously sleeping that he just dives right in. Um, but that's something too, that we, there's just, that we just set some boundaries in, in our home so that we can have time together and, and stay connected. I think vacation is another thing that we retreat during the year because on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday, our family is here those happen to be the only two days that they're off of school. And so we have to get really creative during the week to make sure that we can have time with them, dinners or coffee after school or something like that. Um, but taking really focused, intentional time away, even if it's just into the hills in a cabin or something, or a tent, you would not, that wouldn't work, but a cabin in the hills, um, uh, just to be able to focus and, and connect. Yeah. And I, I, I know, like, even listening, it sounds a bit silly, like, so I'm investing in my spouse if we have a bedtime for the kids? Uh-huh. It's amazing. And sometimes, I'm just telling you, parents, you have gone well beyond your role as a parent. And you think that being a good parent means you are always accessible to your kids anytime they ever want to, and they're not mature enough to know how to manage that. And I tell you, the bedtime thing for us to, to also keep our, our bed sacred where the kids, I mean, they can be scared, but... But this is mom and dad's room, and we, we make sure that we take care of them when they're scared, if there's a storm, and things like that. But it's been, it's been a big part mm -hmm. to making sure that we have boundaries in, in our relationship. Uh, how do you encourage your spouse to be a leader without offending them? <laughs> I'll let you take this okay. one. Okay. Um, so I think that encouragement brings life in every possible way. And so if you're in, in life in general, but especially in a marriage, um, I think that you need to, again, have conversation and be intentional about inviting opinions and then listening to those opinions. Uh, one of the things that Jesus modeled with the disciples is that the disciples didn't always know exactly what Jesus wanted them to do, but he sent them out anyway, which sounds terrifying. But he was giving them room to go lead and they would fail and they'd come back and he would talk them through it. And I, I find this a lot in women that I counsel or visit with is that they're, they want their husband to lead, but they've completely hijacked all of the opportunities, whether they're at home all day with the kiddos, so they're managing the house 
and doing all of that, if, if, the, if the husband is deployed, that happens a lot where he may come home from work or deployment or something, and you're kind of running the house. And so when he comes in, it's just never enough. And I, I find myself even, even doing that. If David's been gone for a week or something on a trip, he comes home and I've got everything going, so don't get in the way. And how can you not know where things go and all of that? I think assuming the best about your spouse and then giving them an opportunity to lead and be encouraged as they're leading will bring life in a way that you've never experienced before. It's huge. Yeah, if you haven't invited your spouse to help you know what you can do better, then you've invited your spouse to micromanage you. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you love to be micromanaged, but I haven't met anybody yet who just loves for people just to harp on you and, and, and to dig at you all the time. If you want to make sure that you can lead through this, is ask your spouse what you can do better. And some of you are like, but I know what they'll say. <laughs> uh-huh. So fix it. I'm telling you, some of the greatest things that you and I can do is to invite the initial pain so that that, that pain doesn't get greater down the road. Hmm. Will a marriage work if only one person attends church? I'm going to give you the answer that you may not expect from a pastor. Yep. A marriage can work if only one of you loves God, if only one of you goes to church. But that means that you still have this significant role in the relationship. I, I hear this quite a bit. That there, are, there are people who call themselves fountain springers, and your other half is not a part of our church, doesn't love God, doesn't follow God, doesn't really want to have anything to do with that. And there's that tension. And so you're like, so what do I do? Well, the Bible actually gives us detail to this. So look at this. Wives in the same way. By the way, we can be mature enough to know that if, if you're not a wife, we, we, can, we can move this around. Okay. So wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, talking about God following God, they may be won over without words. Without words. One more time, without words. <laughs> By the behavior of their wives. We preach this all the time, that your actions are primary. And so if you're in a home where not everyone follows God or doesn't want to, then what do you do? You make sure that your behavior reminds everybody in your home who Jesus is. You make sure that your behavior is contagious. That's what you do. So I want to finish this. Let's finish this whole series, and let's finish this and land this on something that I find to be very profound. Whether you are married or single, whether one day you hope to have a relationship or you're like, I don't want to do that, you can take something from this series that I think has revolutionized our marriage, our parenting style, and frankly, just how we live life. Joshua 24, 15 gives us what I think helps us on this. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But as for me and my household, you may not have full control like what we just talked about. You're like, well, I can't bring in the whole household. I know you can't. But it's for me and everyone else who is in on this in our household. We will serve the Lord. If your marriage is thriving or the opposite of that, maybe it's just lukewarm coasting. Maybe you're single and you're like, ah, one day I hope to be, might be married someday. And you can take 
these words from the Bible and start making them priority. Who do you serve? Because every single one of us serves someone or something. Every one of us does. It can be a thing, it can be money, it can be whatever. Or maybe it's your kids that you serve. Maybe it's your spouse that you serve. And I know it seems odd, but God did not design us to have multiple masters. And he says he wants to be the only one. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. If you've struggled through this whole marriage series going, what's for me, what's for me? I think it's this. Are you gonna make sure that you, your household, serves the Lord, makes Jesus priority? Make sure that how you argue, how you communicate, how you resolve conflict, and how you plan for the future, how you parent, how you work, how you are as a student, how you are in private and public. Do you serve the Lord? And that's something that you can, you and all, all of us can take that wherever we are, even if your spouse is deployed, even if you're one of the fellows at RCMU, even if you're a young student in school, who do you serve? And that's how I want this whole series to land. So here's what I'm gonna do. I want everyone to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to press that into a conversation with God right now, just privately, quietly, I want you to have the conversation with God about who you serve. If you don't know, I'd ask him, God, who do you think I serve the most? And he is brilliant and loving to let you know. So I'll leave you alone just for a few moments. You talk to God about who you actually serve. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that you are God, you are King, you are Creator, you are the one who provides everything, you are all-powerful, you are full of grace and mercy and justice all at the same time. God, I thank you for my wonderful wife, Katie, for how you have showed me things about you, God, through her life. Thank you for that. God, there are many folks, you know that, who are married, who are thinking about it. God, I pray that you will give us the strength we need, the wisdom that we need, the discernment, and perhaps even the desire to make sure that our marriages and, frankly, all of our relationships show you to the world. So God, I thank you for what you've done over the past five weeks. Continue to shape these marriages, continue to develop us as followers, and for those who have yet to decide to follow you, God, may you continue to press into their lives and show them how incredible you are. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.